Jonathan, I've been up since 1am, so I apologize if I am short for words today. Did you enjoy the state of the word? <laughs> I did. I enjoyed the state of the word, and uh, it's it was anticlimactic in some ways. It checked off almost all the boxes yeah. that we, we covered. It was nothing we surprising, it was, but it was great. It was just what you'd expect, I guess. It was fun live streaming it. I enjoyed that aspect of it with you. Yes, it's uh, reminiscent of our, our Apple event uh, experiences, getting up at crazy times to just sort of see what's going on there. It was a lot of fun. Today, we have another Perspectives episode of Crossword. And today with us is a guest that I have been so much looking forward to having on the podcast. His name is Kent By Welcome to the show, Kent. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here to talk about virtual reality and all this immersive technology stuff. Right. So we've talked a little bit about VR on this show before. Listeners will know that I am a bit of a VR head and I have been messing around since like 2016, maybe 2015 with the OG Vive. And and now I you know use the index, which I paid exorbitant shipping fees to have sent to Australia. Um, but Ken, you've been around much longer. You have been doing the Voices of VR podcast since 2014, which is really in the early days of VR. You've recorded hundreds of episodes, right? Hundreds. Yeah. So I, well, I bought my Oculus Rift on January 1st, 2014. The first consumer VR conference was at the Silicon Valley Virtuality Conference in May 19th and 20th. And I really kicked off my podcast then. And since then, uh, last six and a half years, I've been to probably over 100 different gatherings in the virtual reality community around the world, um, capturing this like oral history of trying to track the evolution of this medium as it unfolds. I've recorded around 1,500 podcasts or so, and I've published about two-thirds of that. So like 967-odd podcasts at this point. So yeah, I think the there's a lot that's happening in, in so many different disciplines and so many different domains. And it's a little bit of an impossible task to try to cover it all. But, you know, uh, part of my filter was to go to these different events uh, and talk to people from across the industry. Um, and my background also, uh, just because it sort of is relevant to the WordPress community, is that I have a electrical engineering degree. And I back in like 2004, I started, uh, I was doing like this experimental documentary and I wanted to use a content management system to be able to do like an open source documentary. So I got into the Drupal community from like 2004 to 2011. I worked at Lullabot for a while, which is a, a pretty big consultancy within the Drupal community. And actually started like the Drupal voices within the Lullabot because I love the Lullabot podcast. I love to listen to people talk about open source technologies, what the latest modules to be using. And um, so I really cut my teeth on Drupal and the open source community there and how to cover a community because it was so large that I would go to these conferences and just do interviews with people from the Drupal community. Um, and yeah, I sort of did the same thing. Uh, once VR came about, I was like, hey, this is like, I know how to gather knowledge about an, in, like an area where there's not a lot of books or written information, uh, sort of an oral history that happens at these conferences with these talks and everything. And so um, because there was no books about experiential design and how to design an immersive experience, then I just started going to these gatherings and talking to people who were creating it and just asking them what they were learning and seeing what people are doing from across the industry. Awesome. Uh, so without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right in to some <laughs> questions about uh, the open web, really, and how it relates to virtual reality today on the State of the Word, which is a, sort of this annual conference uh, that WordPress has, uh, where we talk about what's been happening in WordPress. One of the questions that came up was about spatial computing, was about how does WordPress fit in with the 3D web, was how this particular questioner put it. And that's what I'd love to dive into more in today's podcast, trying to figure out what could the internet look like if it becomes more and more influenced by VR. But before that, I thought maybe we should give a, a small primer on VR to, to our listeners. And so I, th I thought I'd just start with a, a question that I've been really longing to ask you. It goes like this. So what do you think is the ultimate potential of virtual reality and what it might be able to enable? <laughs> 
So yeah, that's a question I've asked over a thousand people now, um, trying to get their sense of what they think the ultimate potential of w what this technology is and where it's going. And there's a number of ways to answer that. I mean, uh, one way is just to say that it's a, a new computing paradigm that's going to change. It's like a, it's like the printing press. Like computing technologies are like the printing press of our era, and as we get um, from a 2D metaphor into a 3D metaphor, we're starting to sort of have new access to computing technologies that kind of break out of our normal concepts of how computing works. And for one, we're using our bodies and moving our bodies to these spaces so that we feel like we're actually immersed into these spaces and that we're bo our bodies are actually there and they feel present and it feels plausible. And then, you know, on top of that, you're, you're, what that means then is that you're, you're kind of combining all sorts of design disciplines from human computer interaction and user interface and uh, user experience and all this web design on uh, how to like interact with menus and information, but also game design and all the affordances of how to express your agency on top of like cinematic storytelling and filmmaking and uh, music and lighting. And uh, then you have like theater and architecture and uh, all your sensory experiences, your haptics, and you're basically hacking your perceptual system to be able to trick your your body and that you're in another realm and vr is different than uh ar so virtual reality is going to make you completely shift your context into another reality ar is like your center of gravity is in whatever context you're in and you're kind of sprinkling in new layers of context on top of that that modulates your experience of that context and so we already have like you know gps that has our experience of of kind of augmentation of being able to do navigation but just imagine like what's it mean to be able to start to do telepresence or be able to do data visualization. And um, so, you know, for me, the the answer to the that question sort of goes into all the different disciplines and domains of from medicine to data visualization and education and the future of entertainment. And, you know, it's like basically every domain of human experience that we can sort of, you know, make an argument for how just like the internet uh, and the World Wide Web has touched every domain of human experience just the same. There's going to be a similar paradigm shift that happens within spatial computing. And so that's a lot of it, what I've been trying to sort of suss out for where this is all going. And I think, you know, for the web, it, at the very first gathering that I went to, uh, Vlad Fasevich, who was one of the co-creators of the uh, WebGL, which is the uh, taking OpenGL and making it available on the web, uh, he was working at, at Mozilla. So from the very early days, the very first consumer gathering of VR, there was representatives from Mozilla that were saying, hey, even though everybody wants to use these game engines of Unreal Engine and Unity, we're going to be trying to make this work on the web. And it was it sucked for the longest time. And it's still not as good. But um, what's exciting is that it's getting to the point where over time, over the last six and a half years, you know, it, it's it, there's some experiences that are at a parity level where you can actually, you know, feel like you're you're having like a social VR experience. Now, most of the stuff that's happening in the web is on through the like a, a canvas, a 2D canvas, like a WebGL. It's all painted. So there's no like 3D DOM. There's no way to really get a scene graph. Uh, but there's libraries like 3JS, which is, you know, anybody's doing anything that's spatial on the web is using 3JS already or Babylon JS. Uh, so there's these frameworks that are able to do this interface to allow you to do this declarative language or write in programming and basically get that translated into a spatial experience. Now, what what that looks like for content management, uh, you know, that's a big question that I have because I have a podcast and, you know, I have lots of background and it's like, mm. how do I translate my, my entire website into a memory palace of over a thousand podcasts? And that, that, that starts to get into really tricky because it's like, we don't really understand how to blend all these design disciplines together to even yeah. know what the affordance is. So you have to kind of scope it down a little bit and almost like do a subdomain and kind of do an experiment that's very specific spatial computing application of like getting people together. So I, that's sort of like the approach that I see. So during state of the word today, Matt mentioned, so la as of last year, WordPress was at 35% of the web by kind of different ways to measure it. But in terms of total sites running on WordPress this year, it's at 39%, a 4% jump, which is the biggest it's had. One of the things that we think about, like for me, I'm especially passionate about this idea that WordPress empowers creativity on the web, right? Like there's a lot of great things out there. We want to see people create more and an open web that facilitates that creation without the constraints of proprietary platforms or the control constraints. And when like this year, so Matt, 
sort of gave his take on why why is there there's that growth and there are a few things where people are locked down they have more time but there's also this like uh it sort of comes back to this like desire to create and that's something that's to me really important and when my interest in vr and these these other technologies it's like i, I don't ever want it to feel forced but to me there feels like there's something about the web and then WordPress's relation to the web that's important in terms of its ability to facilitate the accessibility of technologies. So if we wanted like some of the conversations we've had in past podcasts are like, what does it look like? What would it look like to have a website in VR? And if there's a future there, which we believe that there is, even without sort of knowing what that could look like, it's like, well, WordPress probably has a role to play. I'm curious for, for any initial thoughts that you have on that. Like, my my hesitation is oh well let's not force an application that doesn't make sense and while at the same time there's this sense here that if it's about creativity on the web we know that vr like there's going to be experiences to be created so how can we make that easier to facilitate it and i'm curious for for your thoughts or context on wordpress especially given your open source background when there's a project as big as it is and we want to see more adoption of technologies and the potential that those technologies bring. Do we just sort of let it happen over time? Or is there a responsibility on the part of the projects to anticipate and look for ways to be involved? What are, what are your thoughts? Well, th this uh, already doing web design has been over a number of years, like this process of trying to figure out all the best practices. It took you know probably 20 to 30 years to figure it all out and to the point where it's you kind of you have a really good process of kind of specking it out and and having a process yeah. for how to get the functional process, requirements right. and and how to actually design a website that works for someone. Well, we're like another ten or twenty years from being able to do that with XR of just being able to get someone's requirements and be able to like, oh yeah, you should do this because we're still experimenting and trying to figure out what the new affordances of this medium even are. Um, and so there's a lot more of like I'd say experiments and tinkering that's happening and say like. Uh, websites like the New York Times doing uh, spatial exploration of like, say, uh, doing uh, immersive journalism of trying to take you into somebody's home uh, and doing like mm. a guided tour spatially through that home and using, uh, you know, 360 video or just allowing you to kind of scroll like the the, the potential, like just uh, scrolling down a uh, mobile phone and actually having like a spatial exploration of a 3D space. And so that's, some of the stuff that I've seen, but it's been more custom bespoke. It's not been, um, you know, it's, there's a framework called A-Frame that does a lot of that type of declarative language and allows you to do that type of stuff. But there's other people that have developed their own apps to be able to do that, just that, which is to kind of do a spatial exploration of a space to be able to tell a story. So spatial storytelling, I think, is going to be a big part of that. Um, now, I think there's a, a number of other contexts here that I think that's worth mentioning, which has been WebEx, well, the open standard for web VR started with web VR, but then at the 11th hour before it uh, was sort of finalized, Microsoft comes in and says, hey, rather than just doing web VR, let's do AR too. And so then they made it to web XR, but then that sort of slowed it all down. So for this whole time of that VR has been out there, everything, if you wanted to do anything in web VR or web XR, you had to do it behind a flag of Google. Like you, you had to like get permission to be able to even deliver uh, it, and uh, it, it wasn't until like last year or so that it was even available for you to launch a website with WebXR enabled and for you to actually see it on like a majority of phones. Uh, and on top of that, Apple has been, uh, you know, let's say <laughs> saying and arguing that they want to have really good practices and privacy and that there's certain aspects of WebXR that actually could leak all sorts of really sensitive information. It's a legitimate concern. Uh, but my my problem with Apple is that they it's hard for me to know whether or not Apple legitimately wants to have privacy or if they just want to get everybody to be developing on their own proprietary version of metal yeah. and and you know rather than using uh, GLTF they want to have you use their special uh, you know uh, uh, graphics format uh, so essentially Apple has not implemented WebXR so if you go to can I use you can go to can I use and there's just a whole bunch of red for like WebXR mm -hmm. uh, when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, a lot of these browsers that are out there. So you have this dilemma where, well, you've had like this, what used to be a somewhat competitive uh, browser ecosystem with Microsoft and 
you know, but we've had this consolidation where you have everything from Microsoft and Samsung internet and Oculus web browser, all using Chromium. Uh, you have Firefox, which has been shuttered a lot of their, you know, innovation and development, which seems to be, you know, getting smaller and maybe, you know, eventually going away. We'll, we'll see if the open source community will be able to keep it going. But then you have Safari and WebKit, which is like the other major open source browser. Yeah. And yet there, so if it's a, a functional duopoly and one half of it hasn't really implemented the spec, then that has kind of like held back the entire industry for WebXR. Like it, if they would have implemented it like a year or two ago, we would have so much more innovation, but because they haven't, then you kind of have to use polyfills yeah. and other ways to kind of work around a lot of that stuff. And it's not like uh, native integration for a lot of the stuff. So what I see is that if you have an Oculus Quest 2 headset, you can go onto your browser and be able to do these WebXR um, experiences. But if someone has an iPhone, will they will they be able to see the same thing? And that it's sort of questionable right yeah. now. And because of that, it, it sort of it stifles innovation. Uh, Apple, because of that, not implementing it, it's really prevented the spatial web from really taking it off as far as it could. I mean, Google was already uh, not wanting to to ship the web VR because they didn't want to have to maintain it forever. They're like, this is half-baked. We don't want to put it out. We're going to wait until it's really solidified with WebXR 1.0. That's now launched. So it's in it's in uh, in the Microsoft Edge. It's in Samsung Internet. It's in um, you know Chromium and a whole bunch of other like MetaChromium and other browsers. But you still have this dilemma, which is that until you have the buy-in from Apple, then where is where is the open web going to go here? And Apple isn't really incentivized either to get to be proactive with that buy-in. You know, there's there's a lot of people rumoring an Apple augmented reality headset. Uh, Robert Scoble talks about 2022 being a big year for that. And if that's the case, you know, I can really imagine that Apple would prefer to push its app store as opposed to an open web solution, which sort of further make, makes the problem a little bit more difficult. I, I want to go in sort of two directions. So let me let me signpost them here and we'll go down one path and we might, we might uh, if we can, return back. I just don't want to forget it. I want to explore with you, Ken, what does it look like? What are the very early experimental user experiences of taking something like A-Frame where you've got this declarative syntax, a very HTML-like uh, way of creating a box or a, a, a sphere, uh, creating these 3D elements, and doing what WordPress does for HTML, right? Creating a theme around it and then um, abstracting that into a user interface for non-technical folks to be able to create their own websites. What What's the equivalent of that with something like A-Frame? And, and, and what does it look like for a, a non-technical person to design a space, you know, design a 3D environment? What does content look like in 3D? I want to, I want to ask around the, that. And then the other place that I'll just signpost now that maybe we can come back to also is if we have a web that, that looks like this, if we have a spatial web, what does it look like to traverse that between sites? Okay. It's very juicy. Um, yeah. So I'd say I, I, I would point to Mozilla hubs as like probably the most evolved iteration of the potentials of where, if you use just open web technologies, what type of experiences that you can have. And Mozilla Hubs is, you know, built on the open web stack that uses WebRTC. It uses networked A-frame. It basically it's a social VR experience where you're able to go in there and even on your phone be able to sort of navigate a spatial around a, a space and kind of have like a, a hangout. Uh, there's been a lot of art shows that have been going, and people have been using it for classes in school because it's like the most accessible. Um, uh, way to be able to get people into a VR experience because it it's a you know, it does gracefully degrade to a mobile VR and to PC and it goes all the way up to a fully immersive so that if you want to have an Oculus Rift or in a VR headset you can actually have a full embodiment and have your hands tracked but people who aren't in that then they they have an embodiment but they they're sort of stilted they can't move their hands and have a lot of expression of their their body language uh, but you're still able to like hang out and have a discussion and so what I've noticed is that. Uh, people that are like the metaverse makers group, or there's actually some, uh, there's going to be some uh, over the holidays, 
uh, the chaos uh, compute, the CCC, uh, whatever that group is over in Europe, uh, they're going to be um, the chaos computing club, I think. Uh, but they're they're having a number of different uh, sort of networked affiliated uh, Mozilla hubs groups that are going to be gathering together, uh, and it's essentially able to kind of recreate that conference vibe where you're able to like hang out. Uh, Mozilla hubs. They do like a weekly meetup where they they take questions and you can't go and it feels like a meetup where you go and you just kind of hang out with people and you just you're able to run into people and to learn about things, which is like what we used to do before COVID and go to events. Mm. Um, but I wanted to to, well, to to well, let me just let me just quickly shout out there as well that a friend of ours, Anthony Burchell, is is kind of doing this with hubs. He's kind of doing WordPress with hubs. He's got this uh, service xpportal.io where you're able to spin up a custom hubs instance, like managed hubs, like a managed WordPress. So that's that might be worth checking out if you're interested in creating your own space. And, and that includes all of the um, spatial creation tools that ship with hubs. Mm. Yeah, and there's there's modules and stuff, and there's um, there's a whole there's a hosted version of hubs if you want to just you know go and get something up and running and, and upload a GLTF or you know go to Sketchfab or a Google Poly before it goes away next year and start to download a bunch of uh, Creative Commons files and start to just you know uh, upload these. There's a Mozilla Spoke, which is a way to uh, have a user interface to actually go through the web and just actually start to build some of these scenes out. Um, it doesn't have a lot of interaction, a lot of coding in order. To, it's really locked down. There is an enterprise version where you can have more modules and start to add stuff in. Uh, I would just sort of flag the uh, React 3 Fiber if people have backgrounds in React. I don't know if there's uh, modules or way to kind of integrate React type of uh, functionality into WordPress. Um, I know they're kind of separate. Uh, you know, oh, these kind days, can all WordPress <laughs> developers are React developers too. Okay, so about there's React 3 Fiber, which I, I'm oh, yeah. excited because there's ways to kind of potentially um, export something that's written in HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and you know uh, WebAssembly somehow. I don't know exactly how that's going to fit into, let's say, the React framework, but that but there is ways to do um, to create exports that then become native apps. So OpenXR uh, is separate than WebXR. WebXR is the way that you uh, have your website be able to actually detect that you have a, he a headset uh, plugged in. Uh, if you go to a website and says, hey, this is enabled, and you want you click the button and you can actually jump into VR. And as you move your head around, then it actually modulates the that experience. Well, OpenXR is more of a generalized, like lower level, so that if like Blender, if you wanted to have a Blender and have your uh, application and you wanted to be able to jump into Blender to be able to see a 3D model, OpenXR is going to be able to facilitate that. So OpenXR is going to be slowly integrated into Unity as well as Epic uh, Unreal Engine. But uh, the thing is, is that you can start to potentially export uh, web apps to be able to be native apps. So what's it mean to be able to start to then use your web development schools to create native XR Ooh, applications? That's interesting. So I, I would sort of also flag this other thing that is also starting to happen, which is to start to treat these uh, WebXR, OpenXR as augmented reality widgets within the context of VR. So here's what you do: you sort of like you fire up. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Say, say that again a little slow, a little slower for me. So um, right now, when you go into WebXR, it's not as good as say Half Life Alex, right? Um, Half Life right. Alex, you have to open up Steam and Steam uh, VR, and Steam VR is kind of like um, <laughs> it's a, a little bit of. Uh, uh, Valve's way of trying to make this as open as they can. They implemented an API for, to be able to uh, to have an, an application uploaded to Steam so that it work on Oculus Rift or any of the different headsets, right? So you go in, you can have your Windows Mixed Reality, Oculus uh, Rift S, or your Oculus Quest 2. You can run these uh, high-end PC games through Steam VR. So as you go through Steam VR, you're able to then, on top of Steam VR, run something like Metachromium, which is a very specific version of Chrome that allows you to run WebXR layers on top of any Steam VR experience, which means that you could start to go through Half-Life Alex and start to do a whole augmented reality uh, design. Um, and I think- They are inside of VR. I think this is actually where a lot of the innovation is going to start. It's gonna start with bootstrapped with existing content, creating these augmented reality widgets using WebXR uh, and then uh, being able to overlay them on top of them. So then uh, there's a developer from Steam, 
uh, who's done this whole independent project called Aardvark uh, uh, XR, Aardvark, they just called Aardvark. Aardvark allows you to create these augmented reality widgets that interact with each other. So it's, it goes beyond just having an overlay, but you are in Half-Life Alex, and all of a sudden you could be using something like Pluto VR, which is a telepresence app that I just did an interview with. So you have like an overlay layer of a telepresence application that is on top of like any any uh, XR experience on Steam. And then on top of that, you're able to upload these WebXR widgets that then you can start to exchange back and forth. So I actually expect to see a lot of innovation that's coming from people tinkering with um, making these little widgets, uh, say in VR chat or whatever else, where they can start to have a direct experience of something that's already native to people who are using VR. And because the big challenge is that most people, if you're doing a website, they're not used to kind of jumping into VR. So why not start with the enthusiast of people that are already doing mm. VR and see how you can use the open web technologies to start to do all these weird layers of, you're basically able to prototype all sorts of amazing augmented reality apps. And you don't have to worry about having bad information coming from your computer vision algorithms. You already know the ex precise mesh that is coming from that VR world. You can start to do all sorts of your most amazing ideas for augmented wow. reality. And you can do that all using- With occlusion and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and when, you, when you're talking about this, just to be clear, it, even though we're using web technologies, right? we're not talking about 2D things being augmented into a virtual space. You can still create 3D elements. So you can embed a cube or a sphere or a person uh, into a game that you're playing, have uh, maybe some someone coaching you alongside while you're playing Beat Saber, that sort of thing. Well, I, I just did Pluto VR uh, demo, and they 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 actually showed me something that really quite blew my mind, and I'm going to try to explain what it was and why. Um, so, moving from 2D to 3D is a paradigm shift, right? And the paradigm shift already is that you have this sense of presence, and you feel like you're there, and your body's in the experience. But it actually goes down to the level of how we think of like websites and and applications today um, in spatial computing. Um, the, the example that they gave is say, imagine you're in a spatial computing application where you have a pen, uh, like, the, like a Photoshop type of experience. But say you're in a 3D scene graph and you want to grab a color, you could have a separate application that's completely different than your Photoshop application to be the color picker. So you can have a color picker app, you can have a pen app, and they're existing in the same spatialized context and they're interacting with each other. And so there's this additional layer of breaking out of the 2D frame where we, you didn't think about like having a separate app for your Photoshop app to do color picking. I mean, there are apps that actually do that. But um, the point is, is that in spatial computing, it's going to be a lot more modular where you could start to like be in spatial computing where you have your jukebox that's there that's playing Spotify. You have, you know, lighting that's coming in and, and that lighting effects is, is impacting all these other things. And it's you are interacting with uh, these different things in this same spatial context that goes beyond the 2D frame. So you're breaking out of that 2D context and you're able to have things interact in a way. So I think actually like the decentralized web as well as like just APIs and how computers are already, you know, websites are already having this inter interchange. You start to think about like once you're in a scene, what's it mean to have this widget start to interact with this other widget and start to have emergent behaviors, uh, whether it's virtual uh, beings or uh, you know little pets or you know a ball or whatever it is, you have these entities that are able to have the same shared spatial context and they're interacting with each other. So what does that mean? And what can you make? I think that we're just at the very beginning of what the implications of that are. It's it's really interesting to think about this idea. So. For me, WordPress at its heart is this idea of empowering creativity on the web, right? It's not about producing 2D sites. That's the expression it's most sort of commonly known for today. But at the heart is this idea of like of making the open web accessible. It's been doing that for publishing for a long time. Like e-commerce is a big frontier right now. At the end of the day, though, it's like different ways of sort of getting out of the way and empowering non-technical folks. I really like this example because when I think about tools, like WordPress at its heart is like gives you the series of tools to create these things on the web. And we have that within this like 2D space of all the plugins that interact with each other and sort of do their things. But I, what, if I'm hearing you right, like what I'm 
hearing what I'm getting a sense of and getting excited about. It's like being put into a workshop where rather than a single tool to work with, you're having a bunch of different tools that you can work with to create things in different ways. And ultimately that's about possibilities that we can't imagine, right? Like you can't foresee the way that people will use tools together, but we want to get to the point where we can give them the tools that they can work with. Yeah. And, and the, another way to think about this that the, the developers from Pluto VR described it is like a ruler tool. Like if you're just on your phone uh, in a 2D app, you're, a, a ruler to, doesn't make any sense on its own. It only makes sense when it's in relationship to other things that you can measure. Yeah, that's a great point. Oh. So what, what I'm really curious about, and, and part of what I'm hearing is that it's just still really early. It's going to take time. I think there's there's two threads of interest for me. It's like, what what are the baby steps towards empowering, like lowering the barrier of, uh, lowering the barrier of entry to creativity, right? Like I think about my kids, I got a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, and I watch what my daughter creates in Minecraft. And and I love that, how it sort of gets out of the way. And I see these like worlds that she's starting to make in the 3D space and our ability to interact with them. And I'm curious for your thoughts on like, and when I hear like the Alex example, it sounds like the next steps might be things like that, where there are these, it doesn't have to be closed source, but these existing places, these these uh, applications that begin to bring in these additional layers where people can create things that weren't expected within that. The, the question is like, what can we do to continue to lower the barrier for creating in VR for people that aren't technical? Because right now my sense, accurate or not, is that it's a fairly high barrier to like put together the technical pieces to take an idea that you've got and make it accessible. Maybe there's a different way of thinking about it. Because just my mind's just going mental with this stuff. It's crazy, man. It's so cool. Because I've always thought about the 3D web, uh, a 3D web being an environment, right? You disappear from wherever you are virtually and reappear somewhere new on one planet to another. And what I hear you describing a little is, well, maybe the, the browser lets the user choose their own environment and the environment stays fixed. And then you can go and fetch that YouTube content creator, but they appear as a sort of 3D avatar um, and they can stand there and do their thing while you know you bring in maybe like they it's Marquez Brownlee giving a review of the Apple uh, AirPods Max and you bring in a model from apple.com of the AirPods Max and you look at them and see how they fit on your head, you know, that sort of thing. And so so the web becomes more widgetized, more embeddable. That is that making sense? Am I, am I on the right track here with what you're getting at with, with your in, interactions with Pluto VR? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the challenge here is to see, like, we can imagine what the metaverse is going to be like 30 years from now, but it's actually a lot harder problem to say what the next step is that's actually going to be the, the biggest catalyst to get us there. It's like, we we can sort of imagine things like super far out, but like how this is going to continue to unfold and to see like what what's missing that we don't even have yet. What framework doesn't exist? How do you go from, let's say, adding additional dimension of like the Z axis, uh, where if you want to position a 3D object in 3D space, then does that just require like a MySQL database that has like the XYZ coordinates? Or is there a better way to save that? I mean, you could look at the abstractions of something like A-Frame and start to then prototype that out into um, WordPress. But I think that's not usually how content management systems work. Uh, usually, like I, I was involved with Drupal. Drupal's all about like abstracting things down to like the core essence of you know these different patterns. And part of the challenge with spatial computing is that we don't even know the full range of different applications yet are, that are the most compelling to know that those are going to be the first things to go look at. Uh, we can say there's things like uh, real estate is a good example. So uh, real estate has uh, had a huge adoption of spatial uh, technologies because you can actually get a, a much better sense of a place by having a 3D model from Matterport, uh, and you say, you know, wait, I can get a big, I can get a better sense of like whether or not this space works or not just by looking at a 3D model. Especially if you're just able to pop in a, a VR headset, and you, you know, if, if anybody's been looking for a house and you go into a home and like within 10 seconds you're like, no, this is not going to work at all, and it's like immediate. And like, there's a part of being able to jump into a virtual representation of that house that you you're able to shortcut a lot of that. So 
real estate agents have found that, you know, spatial computing is a, a huge boon to be able to like uh, make it much more efficient. And it's worth them getting the Matterport scans because they know how much more efficient it is to like sort of not have to go to a lot of unnecessary meetings because once people get there, they know that they're, they've kind of filtered it down a lot more. And so there's other things like e-commerce of like buying a shoe or something, or uh, being able to have like a, a spatially accurate representation of something, especially when it comes to like remodeling. So Lowe's and other uh, websites that, you know, like the early, if you look at like the early um, types of applications that either Microsoft HoloLens or uh, Magic Leap, the different types of applications that they were having and demoing, it has to do with like, you're buying these big appliances. You want to know if this uh, piece of furniture fits in your living room or not. So Ikea and these other places, Wayfair, um, being able to put these places in your context and you, you're you able to overlay that onto your existing reality. Now, when it comes, that's most of like the, the low hanging fruit in terms of what we've seen. Then, then the, the harder question is, what are the types of immersive experiences that people want to have an embodied experience with? And how do you transform your idea of like a content model um, it, you're really getting away from a content model. You're you're moving into an experiential model, and so mm -hmm. this is where I would say that it's moving away from thinking about your con your site as these list of these st static concrete objects, and you're moving into a, an unfolding process that is cultivating and modulating someone's consciousness to give them an experience that blows their mind. It's not and a content that, management system. It's a consciousness management system. Yeah. It's like you're you're developing experiences that would be like the Comic Con, or you know, like people would go to Comic Con to have the type of immersive experiences, or immersive theater, or uh, kind of Westworld type of experiences. So, um, you know, philosophically, uh, just to really get to the roots of this, it's moving from substance metaphysics to process relational metaphysics. So, stop yeah. thinking about things as these static concrete objects that we currently have. And looking at these as these dynamic unfolding processes that are in relationship to each other, and so, so yeah, that's that to me. That's like the best way to like to encompass this paradigm shift is like moving from the static version to the dynamic version that's unfolding. Content at its best, I think you hit a key point there for me. Content at its best is actually is about the experience. Content at its worst is when people think of it as static, like I need to have a listicle here, I need to have this thing. It's just sort of like a thing that it's out there. Content at its best is transformative like it brings people into an experience and that's really interesting if we think about it more about from an experience perspective how are we creating experiences on the open web that opens up new okay like for this audience that i'm serving and this thing that i'm trying to create for them how can i most effectively bring that to bear uh, that, that's interesting to me because I think within this world of WordPress, we like content is a big aspect of all of it, but it's not treated equal, right? For some, it's just a thing that you create, and it is. It seems like, based on what you described, it is thought of as more of a static thing that you just have. Where if it's really going to be effective, it is something that creates experiences, and it's just another way of doing that. And ultimately, we can ask, how could we create even more effective experiences using technology? Uh, when I got into Mozilla Hubs with Luke for the first time, and I, I wasn't sure what to think, but when I heard voice and audio change based on proximity, and I got that first sense of presence, I'm like, okay, there's something yeah. here. That was And different. you know what, Jonathan? I, I remember it. I remember it like I was there. That's what's unique about yeah. it. Yeah, well, uh, so I think this looking at presence is a key part, because that's one of the, the real affordances of VR. And I, I kind of break up the communications mediums into like these four major different types of presence. So okay. web design is like mental and social presence. When you go to a website, you're getting information, you're communicating with people, social media, you're on your phone, you're using the abstractions of language to communicate with people. Um, and, you know, more or less, you're kind of going to Google and you're getting data information. And like, uh, that's all the text and the written word. But it's also like literature and also you know, plausibility of like narrative design. And is it believable? Can you suspend your disbelief? You know, does it make sense? Is your model of the reality, does it match what you experience? And so that's a lot of the mental and social presence is that you believe that it's possible and you believe it's real, but it's also all those dimensions of social presence, of, of feeling like you're in the shared social space. You feel like you're actually talking to somebody, but it also makes sense. It, it like it's coherent. It's, it doesn't like have an uncanniness or something that's just totally not plausible. So that mental and social presence is like the key part of what, what I say was the web design, but then there's like active presence. That's where you're expressing your agency and expressing your will and locomoting. And uh, you know, you're, you're taking action in the experience and that's like game design. 
uh, mm. where you're able to really have these interactive game elements where the game mechanics are really able to uh, make you feel like uh, it's satisfying. It has a game loop. So the the mental and social presence with the, the active presence is like making choices and taking action. You have a, a mental model, you make the choice, but then you actually do it. And how do you actually express your agency? Normally, within most video games, you're pressing a button. So there's an abstraction. So there's sort of a mental abstraction when it comes to your expression of your agency, whereas in uh, uh, like uh, virtual reality and these immersive technologies, it's your full embodiment. Your body's actually moving in a way that makes you feel like you have this embodied presence. So that's the other big dimension of presence is embodied presence. Those are all the ways that you feel like your body is there. All of your sensory motor contingencies are tricked in believing that you have enough uh, frame rate, the latency is low enough, but also you have an avatar representation that you want to have, but also the environment that you're in, all the architectural elements make you feel like you're immersed into another place. And so you have this place illusion. So that's the embodied and environmental presence. Uh, and then the final dimension of presence is the emotional presence. That's your engagement into the experience where you really feel immersed and engaged and the music is, is making you really feel like, you know, the tension's building up. Um, all uh, filmmaking is all about building, releasing tension of the consonants and dissonance cycles that modulates your consciousness. You're not taking any action when you're watching a film. None of your choices are changing how the film's going to unfold. Everybody's going to see the same thing, which is different than a game. Uh, so you're passively receiving something and it's modulating your emotions in a way. So that's how I start to think about it is that you're kind of the blending together all these design disciplines from like industrial design, uh, human computer interaction and uh, game design and theater and, uh, you know, cinematic storytelling and narrative design. And, you know, there's so many like it's basically anything with the uh, star design <laughs> is being thrown in here because it's like designing for the human experience. Uh, so that's what I think is so interesting is that we're kind of at the very early phases for what are the frameworks to make sense of this. Yeah. Uh, and what I would argue is that the people from the web design community have some very important information to be able to add to the existing ecosystem that up to this point has not had that same level of APIs and pulling in all this information and making it modular, uh, human computer interaction, you know, just like all these things you can imagine, like uh, fusing all these things together that you could spatialize. Um, that's where like, that's where I think the real uh, benefit's gonna come from where people who are native web people already think about a lot of these things about how to integrate things. And I think they're gonna, they're gonna have the mindset that's gonna be primed for like this augmented reality spatial paradigm. They're already kind of doing that in the 2D realm, but it's, it's gonna have the more game elements and graphics and rendering. And you know, there's a lot of really complicated things to pull this together. And so for me, it's like, it's some of the hardest design challenges of our generation. Uh, and it's like really open for anybody to be like, hey, I have an idea for what might be cool. And you might go out and make something that that totally revolutionizes the entire industry. I mean, Beat Saber was made by like three people in like Croatia. Yeah. It's like they, they literally changed the face of VR by having this idea to sort of do this uh, rhythm game that blends all these things together. And it's we're at the time where anybody can be able to start to do that and start to fuse together what's out there and really transform what's possible with spatial computing. Yeah, it's it's good that you bring up the this idea of not only like the spatial computing, but this sense of presence. And the, I, I love this framework that you've built of these four different modes of presence. I've got here my uh, my copy of Ready Player Two, which I finished the other week. We talked about it. And uh, of course, I'm a big fan of Ready Player One. Uh, not that it's actually that good a book, but I, lo I like the vision, you know. And uh, one of the, the key aspects of this series is the idea that you have a persistent presence between experiences, right? So right now on the web, I go to Jonathan's website and then I go to, I don't know, voicesofvr.com and there's no persistence between the two, right? Maybe, you know, Google's analytics or fonts are tracking me around the web in the background. <laughs> but aside from that, you know, but oftentimes when, times when we imagine what it would be like in the future to have a spatial web, we imagine it in such a way where we retain that same embodiment, that same avatar that, that travels from place to place, to, from site to site, from planet to planet in uh, the, the context of Ready Player. And that's something that I know a lot of people are thinking about, both on the 2D web, but also with a, with a spatial web. How do we get there? How can we 
How can we have one account for everything? Is it possible? Will we ever see it? There's already an open standard for it. So uh, it's, it's like this referred to as uh, either self-sovereign identity or decentralized uh, identifiers. So it's a W3C standard that already has decentralized identity. Um, it's just, you know, um, some people within uh, VR have started to play with it a little bit. When uh, Philip Rosedale, who founded Second Life and then hi did High Fidelity, they were playing with it a little bit. Um, but they, uh, Philip kind of took High Fidelity in a different direction because VR wasn't taking off in, in terms of social VR. So he kind of pivoted into more spatial web. So here's what I'd say about that is that, um, I mean, there's a, there's a theorist or a, I guess a technology consultant named Simon Wardley. And he maps out how technology evolves through four phases. There's a prototype idea of like, this is possible. It goes to an enterprise application where you start to deploy it out to you know custom bespoke applications with custom code. Then there's like the productized, like it, it, it's a consumer application like the Oculus Rift um, that that sort of goes to the masses. And then eventually, if if we get to that point, it becomes a you it mass ubiquity. Like it doesn't matter. Like arguably with cell phones, we still have a difference between Android and iOS. Like it's still in the product phase, but it's sort of like ubiquitous enough that like everybody has it, but still there's enough differences that it's not like gasoline or, or electricity where it really doesn't matter what you use. Or if you're getting like, um, you know, cloud computing would be another example where it's arguably more like a commodity. It doesn't matter between the two. It's still gonna like do the same thing. Um, so you, that's a, the natural progression of technology. Like, like WordPress hosting. Yeah, it, well, it, it's sort of, you know, WordPress is really in that consumer phase and it's moving towards that, really trying to make it into a mass ubiquity. Um, and so the challenge is to say, okay, well, if we want to get to the metaverse, what can we look at today that's the next step of the custom bespoke application? And I think that's you have to look at something like VRChat to see what's happening with VRChat, with how they're using identity, how they're able to set portals and go between different worlds, how you're able to set the context of the privacy uh, of those worlds, how you're able to have like a social graph uh, of a friend's network to be able to invite people. And so these are all things that are slowly having open standards with like uh, federated uh, social graph and uh, decentralized web and uh, 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 self-sovereign identity, um, you know, and there's uh, uh, avatar standards like VRM. Uh, GLTF is a general like standard for 3D models, but on top of that, it has like VRM as an emerging standard that it is uh, getting big in uh, Japan to be able to have like avatar representation. So um, over time, you have yeah. these open standards that start to like set in each of these different parts. And you, um, this is something that Neil, uh, Trevitt told me from the Kronos group, he said, every successful open standard has a proprietary competitor. And mm -hmm. I think that is like the natural evolution of how technology evolves is that you have the early movers, uh, it's proprietary, uh, you have to pay a lot of money, it's closed, it's a walled garden, but they're the leading edge. They're like VRChat is not an open source project. Uh, High Fidelity was sort of like the open source project and who won? <laughs> like with High Fidelity, you had to like host your own server. And VRChat was like, we're just going to like make all these avatars for free. We're just going to like host everything for free, lower the barrier of entry just to prove out like what is meaningful, what's useful, what what, what are people going to do and just really iterate on providing value. And then once you really understand what those value values are, then you start to break it out into those open standards and start to then build the open version. And so in this context, you can look and see what's happening in Unity and Unreal Engine. Those are always going to be the leading edge, um, but they also have they break backwards compatibility. So people who use Unity, they're like, oh yeah, I started, uh, I have to use a Unity 2017, uh, a version from three years ago, because that's what I started this project on and I can't update it because all these other modules are gonna break. Um, you know, uh, Drupal is very open to breaking backwards compatibility. WordPress doesn't. They're like, no, we're gonna like, <laughs> we're gonna maintain everything, <laughs> all these modules forever, which in some ways uh, stifles innovation because it, it, well, I'd say with the latest sort of Gutenberg update, there was probably a lot of like backwards compatibility broken. And it's very yeah. painful when that happens. And you have to like, mm -hmm. it's almost like taking a quantum leap uh, when you update, because it's like, you have all this tech debt that you haven't slowly been doing breaking backwards compatibility because you really want to keep that critical mass. And that's, that's why WordPress is like 39% of the web. And the only people that use Drupal are these enterprises that have enough money to, to pay for that. Because it's like, it yep. takes a whole development team to be able to, to deal with that and to do all the custom development. So there's a trade-off there though, of like, because you're not willing to do the backwards, breaking of the backwards compatibility, that means you move slower. Um, 
But with something like this, it's still like at the phase where we're still trying to figure out like what's compelling, what's useful. Um, and you still you can think of it as like maybe you need to do a subdomain and use something like an A-frame and be able to like prototype it out, but find out what that value is and then then uh, use your mathematical generalization skills to be like, okay, here's how we can abstract the essence of what we know is going to be easy for people to be able to create their own spatial experience. And that's going to, that's going to take a while because we still are in the phase of just even seeing what works and what people are, what's compelling for people. Mm, I remember when I was in high school, I um, experimented before podcasts, even experimented with uh, creating my own CMS and it was like a, a web blog is what we called it. But I called it an audio web blog where I literally wrote out my blog for the day every day and then hit record and just read it out loud. And with every post, I would provide the option of listening back to the post at the same time as reading it. Of course, that's the sort of thing that never came to be, thankfully. Um, but it strikes me that Perhaps what you're saying is that we're in this early stage of experimentation where we're trying to figure out what works, what works for content, what do people want to see, what do people want to do, how do people want to experience the web. Uh, and we're not really sure what's going to stick just yet. Yeah. So maybe it's a bit too early to start even thinking about how we're going to manage that content since we don't even know what the content's going to look like. Yeah, yeah, and I'd say you know my advice would be to kind of tinker around and start to play with the technologies, get used to the web stack because it is a big, it's a pretty significant paradigm shift to go to spatial computing. You're starting to use things like Blender and you know talk to like theater makers and uh, narrative designers and experiential designers, and you know it's a big, there's a lot to kind of integrate. And like the thing is, is that it's hard for just one person to create a really robust immersive experience. It really takes a team, and so yeah. collaborating with people doing these different prototypes, you know, world building within uh, VR chat. But then if you want to just stick to the open web, then look at how to make widgets within, you know, this augmented reality layer where you can start to like play with, like if you really want to play with like creative coding in 3JS and you want to like have like a widget that uh, people within VR chat have access to, um, then you can start to play with that and, and do some really interesting, innovative stuff that has a critical mass of people that are there. Uh, what I would say, like this is, as I've been covering the XR industry, I've sort of trying to abstract out what are the key components of a communication medium. And I have it in these four phases. Number one is the new technology that allows new affordances to be done, right? Immersive technologies and all this 3GS and Babylon JS, all the stuff that you can do, all sorts of stuff. The second aspect are the creators and the makers, and they want to make something that's cool. Uh, and they want to like push the limits of what's possible with the affordances of that technology. But then the next phase is the distribution to be able to get it into the hands of people. And this is, like I said, where folks like uh, Apple and the lack of support in Safari has really uh, been a big blocker for the innovation cycle here because there's not been the catalyst to be able to create something and to get it into people's hands. You have to like have a Chrome or you have to have people who are already into like a VR headset and be able to have access to it. People who have an Oculus Quest 2 they have an Oculus browser where you can do this. So you can say, go to this URL in your web browser and you can have this experience. So it's people who are already sort of bought into this immersive computing paradigm. Or uh, Mozilla had created an app to be able to, to render out WebXR content as an app, but I don't know, I'm sure if that's gonna be maintained, but there may be ways of getting this WebXR into like an app context within like an iPhone. Uh, but then you have the, so the distribution in the final phase is people see it. People see it and they experience it and they tell you about it. And you have this like, Hey, you're able to communicate people with this new technology. You're able to like express a part of your human experience in a way that connects to people and that people can come back to you and tell you what worked and what didn't work. And that not only changes the technology cycle, but also the whole loop. And so there's, there's loop, this process where in order to develop a communications medium, you have to have that loop of just getting stuff out yeah. there, having people tinker, have people experience it. And we're not going to get anywhere unless we have that full loop. So my takes from this, it's all super interesting and I'm grateful for Luke pushing. I've always been like interested because I'm generally interested in technology, but pushing me into like, Hey, you got to get a quest. You got to like play with some of these things. And uh, when I think about this, like my take is to continue to be curious, to look for opportunities to experiment. Like if I'm, as I'm thinking about the broader open web and the opportunities to like, empower more creativity, this is all a part of it. 
where I'm going to, what I'm taking away from this in terms of where the opportunity is and the application is going to be like right now we have this, this opportunity because of COVID in the event experience space. Like we did our first meetup in VR earlier this year. And as I look to next year, uh, that's not, I mean, that I'm responsible for events in like the WooCommerce space. And this to me is like, okay, what can we do to experiment with different types of experiences that people can have that begin to show some of the value of these things? Because I think you, there are genuinely more meaningful and valuable experiences to be had with the use of technology. And a lot of that's here in this, this realm of AR and VR. So that, that's my take from this is to continue to experiment, to look around. And then as we find things, WordPress offers this incredible vehicle for just the distribution side of it when something can find that right connection. And I think the WordPress community can is, is ripe for and is a good place for some of that experimenting to happen. People are very forgiving of like basic things and like, hey, they're willing to try different things out. So it could be a good, that's my take from this is it's a good, it's going to be a good ecosystem for us to like, Hey, let's try this with this event and let's try this over here and, and give people the opportunity to experience things that they might not have been as open to otherwise, but for this moment that we have where it's like, well, let, let's try some things we haven't tried before. Yeah. A, a quick note on that is that, um, you know, anytime you start to get into a new technology, especially if you're an open source, there's this process of like choosing the horse that you're going to ride on, you know, like yeah. what, what framework are you going to choose? Uh, obviously everybody who's listening to this has already chosen WordPress, uh, amongst all the other different options that are out there. So, you know, the process of like trying to find out what has a momentum. Well, in the, in this space of like the immersive web, three JS is by and far like has the most momentum, but there's also Babylon JS. If, if people want to look into that, that's another option that is from Microsoft. It has a whole other you know approach, but it's the same kind of interface to, to WebGL to be able to do spatial computing stuff. So my advice would be to like have people either do three JS or Babylon JS. And there, there might be even some other ones that are out there um, at this point, but three um, JS certainly has like, you know, that's the basis of say React 3 Fiber and A-Frame and a lot of these other frameworks that are out there. So if you learn 3JS, you're able to then go into say React 3 Fiber or A-Frame or whatever, uh, whatever else. But you're able to like throw up some code on the glitch, um, on, onto like, the, was it glitch.io? Um, and you're able to like pull up a glitch URL and have a feedback loop cycle between programming and then pushing out uh, and reloading onto your headset and actually having like a spatial experience. That to me is like, uh, then you have like this self-contained, like uh, a static HTML site uh, that is, you can just upload that. And that then you can sort of uh, point to that as a, like a standalone experience within within like the HTML. I don't know if, the, if all the WordPress is going to filter out stuff or there, if there's an easy way to do like a static HTML uh, page within the context of just uploading, you know, an HTML page with, with JavaScript. But that's the type of like mindset I would say is like, you can start to tinker uh, on glitch.io, have that own iterative cycle for you to kind of just play around and learn it. And then if it matures enough, then potentially turning it into a module if you need to, or uh, just putting it as a static HTML page on your website. And so I think that'd be like an easy, like low hanging fruit of folks if they start to do that. Um, and then if it gets, you know, to the point where, you know, if people want to have like uh, 360 videos or, or, or 3D models or um, being able to, to pull in uh, models from Sketchfab as an example, um, so yeah, just learning the whole 3d pipeline, that's a whole mindset and whether or not you're going to go the traditional route of say unity or unreal engine, which anybody who's in the web developer community, I would advise you to look at something that is not that because this is all about trying to use the open standards in the open web. So look at something like a frame or three JS or react Three fiber, and maybe even start to uh, render out your own open XR binaries to be able to run, um, you know, create your native apps. Um, and yeah, just start playing around and tinkering and see what's possible. That's unreal, Kent. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that's left unsaid that you'd like to say? <laughs> well, uh, just a, a, a pitch to, um, if you want more information on my podcast, you can go to voicesofvr.com. Um, and also, um, I'm supported by Patreon. And I think, you know, like this relationality, how do you become in relationship to uh, being in integrity and I uh, with supporting the type of work that uh, th this type of work that I want to do. And I'm supported by my patrons and I want to get to the point where I uh, am fully sustained by that. And it's it does have this paradigm shift into really thinking about how you're in relationship to the world around you. And um, if people are interested in kind of tinkering around at some point, 
I need to, I'm in desperate need of uploading, uh, updating my website. Uh, it's from an old version of WordPress and you know, it's just, I don't know, like I just need to update it. Um, uh, but there's like, I want to create a memory palace of all space and time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Starting. That's, it's the thing, right? You, you go like, you, you know, you need to update, but, and it's old, but you just have these big grand visions yeah. for how it could be. Right. Yeah. And so that obviously that's a bad idea. And so like <laughs> to start there, you, and, but to also, I mean, the, the question I think about is like, I have a podcast. What is the immersive experience that makes my podcast better? And I've, yeah. I've struggled with that because I don't like it. That would require me creating a whole immersive experience for every single podcast episode, which is not feasible. Um, and so I've sort of settled upon like probably the best thing is like I have over a thousand episodes. How do I start to spatially organize all of this content in a way that allows people to discover the, the underlying structure of this whole domain? And maybe they click a button and then that sends a, a link to their RSS feed that allows them to sort of have a playlist of, of stuff to listen to. So that's like one problem that I have uh, as somebody who has a lot of content, someone who thinks about this deeply. Um, like the first thing that I think of is it's probably going to be a discovery aspect where people are going in and and maybe having a little taste or seeing how things are related to each other. So I think that's that's sort of like the long-term vision. The thing I don't know is like, what's the, what's the sort of minimum viable first step towards that? And if anybody's interested in that concept and idea and want to help collaborate with me, I'd love to just, you know, have this sort of exchange of being involved in the open source community and helping to sort of help shape the future and figure some stuff out. That was brilliant. Well, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much, Kent, for taking the time. And uh, yeah, I've, uh, that was, uh, that was fantastic. I've, you've, uh, I've got a lot of new sparks of curiosity sort of going off. So that's what I've hoped for from the beginning of doing this. Thanks for bringing your perspective. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for so much for having me. It's been fun to kind of geek out about the my web dev side. Uh, and if you do want to follow me more, I'm also on Twitter at Kent Bai, but um, I'll be sort of musing lots of stuff there. But uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of, what I'd say is that there's there's secrets to the future of immersive computing that this community has that we will not unlock until you get fully engaged into what's going on here. So we need your help. <laughs>